from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Mark Casello, Republican Josh Cantro, Democrat Roberto Montano, and Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis, a retired Army officer. Our program tonight, coming to you from our own base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Apologize for my bad voice tonight, but I've been nursing it for the last couple of days. At least I can articulate a few words tonight. And uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Lots to talk about. Lieutenant Colonel, we thank you very much. Welcome. Happy New Year. Nice to have you with us. Uh, since we last met, uh, the President of the United States uh, ordered uh, a, a strike, uh, which took out uh, General Soleimani, who was one of the major leaders of uh, uh, the war, uh, war Iran. Uh, and my question to you is, um, how significant was it, and are you fearful that it's going to start a chain reaction that we may regret someday? How significant is uh, this action uh, that's going to be played out in the next couple of weeks and months? Uh, his death uh, knocks the Quds Force uh, operationally back on their heels a little bit. Even though his uh, deputy has been promoted, um, his deputy comes from the northeast side of Iran, and he uh, doesn't speak Arabic. He doesn't have the same ties into the Arabic community as uh, Suleiman had. And Suleiman, for the past 20 or so years, has been the one that's orchestrated and integrated so many of the Iranian-backed militias and other terrorist organizations, uh, giving them weapons, training, funding. And uh, so it's going to disrupt their operations, potentially. Roberto Montagna, you were a Democrat. You also served in the Army. Uh, What is your reaction to the action of the president? Uh, tactically, it's uh, it's great. It, you know, this this definitely puts back uh, an adversary that um, meant to do us harm. Uh, strategically, I'd question the timing, um, setting aside the political implications. Uh, there were other paths, but at this point, uh, nobody's mourning the death of uh, this gentleman. Josh Cantor was our Republican tonight. I wish I heard uh, more uh, of what uh, Roberto just said from. Uh, House Democrats and uh, our congressional Democrats, because they seem to be uh, almost universally condemning this very brave action by the president, uh, which took out this terrorist that is responsible for killing at least 600 Americans in the past, or operations that killed 600 Americans. I think it's uh, a really good move. Um, How it plays out, we'll have to see. But Remember, Trump, Trump's base doesn't want endless wars in the Middle East. And I uh, think that tr- the president's track record over the past three years sh- shows that he has uh, shown great restraint. Mark Casella was with this card-carrying progressive around the year. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, I'm very troubled, troubled by uh, President Trump's move, um, assassinating a um, uh, a leader of a, a sovereign nation uh, sets a bad precedent. I think it's the most significant intervention uh, in the Middle East since our overthrow, uh, our assistance in the coup in 1953 of Mossadegh. And I think there's far-reaching implications for this, and uh, I worry about the precedent it sets uh, for our own official safety as well as um, the 
our intervention in other countries. You have used the word assassination. That's a inflammatory word to many. Is that is that the right word here in your view, Colonel? They killed him. That's simple enough. And uh, you know, you can wrap whatever word you want around it. Um, he ceased uh, being a, a force on the field. So is that the right word to use, Josh? No, it's not the right word to use, but it, is, it implies that uh, we were not within our rights to kill someone who has murdered thousands of innocents over the years and spread terror throughout the Middle East. Roberto? I'm okay killing people that killed Americans, and that's not a Democrat thing or Republican thing. That's just an Army thing. Um, you call it whatever you want. Um, a lot of guys my age, um, I'm, getting clo- I'm getting close to 50, a lot of guys my age um, that are uh, artificial legs or, or arms yeah. that you see at the VA, this guy has something to do with that. Um, he was involved in incidents going back all the way to 83 bombing in Beirut with those Marines. So I just don't have any sympathy whatsoever for someone who's made it their life's work to attack Americans. Mark, sounds like we have a difference of opinion <laughs> here, but but one that uh, maybe gets to the core of everybody's uh, emotions. Well, certainly, I mean, I, I have no sympathy for Soleimani, but let's invert the situation. If it was Iran who had committed a drone strike against Secretary Pompeo, for example, and said, well, he was indirectly through proxy war responsible for the deaths of innocent civilians through American actions, I think we would call it a political assassination if Iran had uh, pulled the trigger on such a drone I'm sorry, but uh, Iran is a terrorist state. The United States is not, and that is the difference. Iran spreads terror throughout the Middle East. It destabilizes the Middle East. We try to put it back together. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that, Josh. Um, We've got the Saudi Arabian regime that we support, which has been uh, guilty of atrocities against its own people. Um, it's a complicated situation, and I, I just I question, and, and uh, we can disagree, but I do question whether or not we're a stabilizing force. And I do not know, as, as Lieutenant Colonel Yantis has pointed out, um, the long-term effects of such a, a decision as President Trump has made, apparently without deep consultation with his international partners without involvement of Congress, um, which is, you know, I understand he's the commander-in-chief, but uh, we've elected Congress to have a check and balance. But he does does seem, in this particular case, he does seem to be operating on the intelligence that was provided to him by the intelligence community, and critics of the president have said he doesn't listen to them enough. Is this an important factor here, or is, is he listening to only what he wants to hear? That I don't know. But the overall scope of the operation, as I understand it, uh, there was a very finite window of opportunity to identify which aircraft he was coming in on, uh, that he landed in Baghdad on a commercial airliner with other innocent men, women, and children on board. He separated from them, got with his party, and then they were leaving. And then the decision was made uh, that he was far enough away and it was not going to endanger non-combatants, innocent men, women, and children, and they took the shots. I, I want to go to the consultation with uh, Congress uh, part that Mark mentioned. Um, it's my recollection that President Obama, to his great credit, eliminated thousands of terrorists by drone strike. I don't think that he went to Congress every time he did that. 
Yeah, and I also had, and Bruce could probably attest that I did have problems with mm-hmm. President Obama's uh, uh, targeted killings. Um, for example, uh, no love lost for Anwar al-Awlaki, but I was troubled uh, about the killing of an American-born uh, citizen. Um, it was legally, the Office of Legal Counsel supported that uh, move, but it, it does raise questions when we, when we start allowing targeted assassinations. All right. We've engaged the conversation. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. Join us. Nice to have you with us tonight. From the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis is with us this evening. And Ryan, you were making a point uh, during the break about uh, uh, about the timing of how this all happened, and right. really looking at, looking at all the facts in this particular case. It it makes a very strong case for what the president ultimately did. Well, and uh, and General Suleiman has is the outward face of the Iranians. Islamic uh, Revolutionary Guard, the Quds Force, and they operated outside the borders of Iran uh, in their efforts to support Shia and Iranian-backed militias and terrorist organizations. He had been doing operations throughout the Arab Crescent, uh, had recently traveled to Beirut and into Syria, and then was traveling on a commercial airliner scheduled to land in Baghdad. And I think part of the calculus of the decision was uh, we can't Take him out if he's surrounded by innocent men, women, and children. So he's gotten off the plane. There's this window of opportunity where he is isolated uh, on this secondary road. Uh, He's surrounded by military personnel. Nobody from the government of Iraq is there with him. Do it. And they they took the shots. Does it – a lot of those that do not like this decision by the president – say that it is making, it is adding the likelihood of retaliation against American troops somewhere, someplace, or maybe high-ranking American military leaders in the United States or elsewhere. Do you think that, is there a, is there a relationship to that? You know, since 1978, 79, uh, we, there has been a proxy shadow war that Iran has waged against uh, us, the great Satan, by their definition, Russia, the lesser Satan, and a number of other countries. Uh, We have been in a profound risk from uh, Iranian operatives, uh, whether it's individuals traveling or official parties traveling. Um, 
since that time until today. We got hit this morning in Africa. Uh, yep. uh, Africa Command mm-hmm. uh, repelled successfully repelled a uh, assault from an affiliate. So that's not a new thing. Um, but the one thing well, I- are our generals, those that are at Central Command in Florida, are they? Should they be fearful of their life now? No. No. <laughs> Yeah, I've, been, I've been I've been I've been uh, McDill, uh, McDill uh, Air Force Base, and I've been I've been to those places. The, the, that's not the issue, but but I do want to say that I, I my my well, you said it's not it's not the issue for whom the 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 leadership the our cadre yeah. is not taking any additional risk than they were every day for the last thirty forty years. Okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're 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 fighting these people, right? They're trying to kill us. We're it's a political solution we're trying to get to through military action. Well, and let me let me go real quick. Mark got a comment. Well, I, I was just going to say that strategically, you know, when when Dick Cheney said we were going to be greeted as liberators, we were bringing democracy to Iraq, and now. We've got uh, a government, the Iraqi government, uh, according to public reporting, had invited Suleiman uh, to the country and to carry a message between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And so uh, uh, Mahdi uh, has invited him, and now we've, we've conducted this strike, um, further un- uh, undermining the sovereignty of Iraq. Um, well, maybe a, they won't invite any more people to their country. Well, but so what's going to happen? So if they vote uh, to make us leave... Uh, Will the United States pull out? President Trump won't even respond to his own Congress. <laughs> so I, don't, I somehow doubt he's going to withdraw troops from Iraq, uh, if, even if they uh, demand it so. Should we? Well, Should the, we were, Josh, what do you think? Is this the perfect opportunity? Uh, Donald Trump said he wanted to withdraw troops. Is this the perfect opportunity? He makes a hit like this. Iraq asks him to leave, and he leaves. Well, I, I think he would have to get advice from his cap- cabinet officers and, and the military on what to do with that. But he he ran... Politically. What do you think politically? Politically, I would say bye-bye. Sounds pretty nice. Well, politically, po- politically his base would, would like that. But I don't know that the key, from a political standpoint, the key swing voters, um, that would be such a great move. What do you think, of- Roberto? Politically. I hate to think about this politically. Um, I, I like to think of it strategically. Like, I would criticize the strategic portion of it while applauding the tactical part. Yes, we have advanced our interests tactically. Strategically, um, I would say there were some questions about the long-term benefit. So, for example, um, there's going to be an election in Iraq in February. It's likely that the people that get elected in February in Iraq are going to be less friendly. Uh, that seems to be the zeitgeist now. Um, there was a nascent uh, opposition group in Iran that was starting to form. They're not going to go anywhere for a while. So, like, I think of, um, I think of war making as a step towards a political resolution, and I think we could have done this differently. But the reason that we got stuck in this position is because we walked away from the nuclear deal. That wasn't perfect, but it was something. Well, they've walked away from it today as well. well of course they did, because we gave so, them very little option. Instead of sending a, a pallet full of $100 bills, it was you know, four Hellfire missiles mm-hmm. from uh, some 
Predator drones. You know, the, the thing for uh, the Iranian state is teetering on the edge of becoming a full-up failed state. They have taken that pallet full of hundreds and squandered it. Right. A lot of it went out in the Quds Force uh, efforts to destabilize Syria and Lebanon and other countries. And there is a growing restive body within Iran that's tired of the way things are being run. Now, if we get asked to leave Iraq, okay, we leave Iraq. But they had 170 folks in their parliament out of 328 vote. It was 170 to zero. But all of those were Shias. They were all people who were bought and paid for by the Iranians. There are still, I don't know, 100 or 200 and some odd that are not Shia that have avoided that vote. They didn't answer the call. So they have a vote. It is not the vote. But if we end up leaving, okay, we leave Iraq. doesn't mean that Iran is just going to suddenly spring forth and everything's going to be fluffy bunnies and good, good news. They've got big problems. The sanctions have really, really knocked them back on their heels. They have a unhappy uh, youth that's grown up. They want good things. They want Western things. And they're stifled under a theocracy. And that's my point. I, I, uh, I, I would say this. What President <coughs> Trump has done is polar opposite of the Obama policy of appeasement, where he gives Iran $1.7 billion in cash, plane loads over it, and frees up hundreds of billions of dollars in sanctions of relief for empty promises down the road. What we have here is an administration that has put the squeeze on Iran, and whether we get out of Iraq or not, as uh, the lieutenant colonel said, Iran has serious economic problems, and they have arrestive youth. Now, the administration has said their goal is not regime change, but what, tr- what the Trump administration has done is certainly put regime change on the map in terms of the Iranians doing it themselves. I'm going to go back to uh, something you said before, uh, Mark, and that is uh, from a political standpoint. Uh, Bernie Sanders also used the word assassination describing what happened. Where does this go politically? Uh, from a political standpoint, everybody's talking about what impact it has on President Trump. Does this have a positive impact on Bernie Sanders and his ability to gather and, and garner more enthusiasm for his campaign? Well, uh What's consistent about Bernie is he's the only person running for office that voted against the Iraq war. And that's a strong position. If our country, I I don't know the political pulse of our nation at this moment, but, you know, 20 years in a war in Afghanistan, and even if we do pull out the 5,000 troops from Iraq, there are still over 60,000 troops stationed in the Middle East based on U.S. Central Command's uh, numbers earlier this year. So, um, but I do think Bernie has an advantage. If there's an appetite in the American public to, to stop spending, you know, the conservative estimates, $4 trillion on these wars, um, and bring that money home and invest it in the American people, Bernie has a strong case to make. Do you think the majority of those people in this country who will vote would use the same word assassination when describing the end of General Soleimani? I think... I think most American people um, want to believe that our government's acting always in our best interest. And so I think if you, the media comes on and the president comes on and says we've killed a bad man, an evil man, as Secretary Pompeo said, a bad man, a bad guy, 
Um, most Americans, I say, would believe that and wouldn't use the term assassination. They'd say he's a threat to American interests, and that was the core. Being so that by using the term, does that is that a political mistake? My question is, it's honest. It's honest, and that's what Bernie's strength is. Is he's he's honest, he's authentic, and people it's also like made that. Also, political mistakes. It really, really depends on who your base is. So I have a friend who says that she won't vote for anyone who doesn't use the term. And she's very politically active. Already. She says, I'm not voting. She's, her words are, I'm not <coughs> voting for anyone who doesn't use the term assassination. And then, on the other hand, you've, and, you know, she and I see the world a little bit differently. I would argue that the fact that he voted, took that vote in Iraq, is helping Biden now. Because it lets people know that our strong national security will listen. He's not really fired up about this, but if it push comes to shove, he's willing to do the hard decision. And so I don't know that it hurts him. It depends who you're going after. Well, the Democratic base is, is made up primarily of progressives. Not entirely, but if you have the progressive <coughs> wing against you, and there's other people that are not wanting to use the word assassination in this particular case, I mean, uh, that's a... That's a, that's a uh, It'll be interesting to see if that becomes the, the, the primary discussion in the month of February coming up when Democratic primary voters uh, and, and caucus goers in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada are going to the polls. Because I think they're going to be, uh, amongst themselves, they're going to be de debating the use of that term and what the president did. Does the president get a slap on the back for it or a kick in the butt back shortly? A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack and we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago with a horrible voice tonight to share with you. Fortunately, I've got some great guests. Their voices are much better, and uh, one is Ryan Yentis. Who are you, Ryan? Hi, Bruce. Delighted to be here. Ryan Yentis, a retired Army lieutenant colonel. I do leadership training and coaching. I help people come from uh, being a good manager to being a great leader, and uh, delighted to be here and sharing my experience. And where have you served? Uh, 22 years, 7 months, 14 days in 33 countries, uh, including east-west German border uh, near the DMZ in South Korea, Bosnia in 95, uh, Africa in 94 for the Rwandan refugee crisis. The Pentagon on September yeah. 11th. Yeah, the funny building with four walls and an extra. Um, mm. All right, uh, let's go over to Mr. Mark Casello, Professor. Uh, thank you, Bruce. I'm Mark Casello. I'm the uh, Director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana. And I'm president of the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society, working to protect uh, the first planned industrial uh, community in the United States. 
And that's been your pet topic for many years now, right? Yeah, going back, uh, I moved to Pullman in 2013, and prior to that, I was interested in it uh, as a, a field of study uh, in my major American literature. I studied labor literature and fiction. And why is Pullman important? So Pullman's important. It was the site of the uh, first national strike in the U.S., the Pullman Strike of 1894. Uh, it was also uh, a planned industrial community, a, a, a utopian community designed by rail car magnate uh, George Pullman. Um, the utopian community failed, but at the same time, Pullman had become the largest employer of African-American men, the Pullman Porters, which paved the way for the modern civil rights movement. Josh Chantro. Thank you, Bruce, for having me on the show again. I really appreciate it. Uh, I am a uh, partner with a large law firm practicing in the privacy and cybersecurity space. We defend businesses when they get sued over privacy, cybersecurity, biometrics, uh, and technology-related issues. Uh, I am also an outspoken um, uh, pro-Israel advocate a uh, Republican activist. I write an American thinker. I have an active Facebook blog. And I guess what distinguishes me a little bit is that I am a, a secular Jew who is also uh, a Republican, which is pretty rare. Roberto Montano. Um, happy to be here. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Um, I would invite Mark to come see Pilsen, which is a phenomenal community. That's where I'm from. In Chicago, I'm a Chicago realtor, so I'm a big fan of neighborhoods. But uh, just to brag a little bit, Port of Entry, Survive Chicago Fire, and uh, great food. Um, please come see the neighborhood, and I'll sell you a house. Now, who are you uh, supporting for president? Um, we should mention that Marcus, <laughs> he's a Bernie supporter, has been, goes back four years as a Bernie supporter. What about you? I think I called he on this show about a year ago that my prediction is going to be Biden with the Harris uh, VP. Uh, right now, what I do for uh, my activism is I go to Wisconsin and I talk to Republican voters. So I go, to, I go up there and I just have a Try conversation. To their mind. I listen to them more than anything. I listen to them. I try not to change anybody's mind, but I try to see where did we drop the ball when we did, and what can we, how can we make it right? And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of baseball left to play before the convention. Um, we're getting a few people that are asking if they could get a second look at the party. By the way, we should mention that uh, uh, Robin Johnson, who uh, has his uh, hand on the pulse of Iowa, will be joining us at 7.30 tonight, and we'll be talking about what's happening in Iowa. He's a professor at Monmouth College in Monmouth, Illinois. He's been a guest on this program before, but he's coming up. Also, if you'd like to join the conversation, the phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me an e email, it's beyondthebeltway.com. That's all you've got to do, beyondthebeltway at gmail.com, beyondthebeltway at gmail.com. And also, if you want to tweet me, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And also, if you want to go to the website, beyondthebeltway.com, you can see and hear this program in the future. And, of course, we are live on Facebook, and we are live on YouTube. And, again, if you want to uh, tweet me either a, a remedy for my throat, uh, that would be great because <laughs> I feel like not very good tonight. But I'm here because the story is too big. I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to be home yelling at the television set. And by the way, on that subject, I want to thank Paul Lisnick, who did a great job sitting in for me last week when I was vacationing in California. I was just going to say, I think your voice is improving as we are as we going get through along. the show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's fine. But I, I also, I, I digress, but I have this horrible canker sore. 
I have the world's most painful canker oh. sore, and whether I'm eating or talking, I'm in a lot of pain tonight. So this is, I'm playing through the pain as the athletes do. Uh, let's go to Eduardo. He's listening to us on WCGO, which is our flagship station. He's got some questions or comments. Go ahead, Eduardo. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Yeah, good evening. Uh, my comment is, I thought the president so far has been cautious as far as his uh, use of military. Uh, Venezuela, there hasn't been any uh, airstrikes over there. And I have a question as far as uh, Mr. Kim in Korea. Do you see him being cautious as far as that we're going along with that Christmas gift that we're still waiting for? Uh, let's talk to the colonel and everybody weigh in on that. Well, I, I think this has been an eye-opening uh, event for many different uh, viewpoints. And uh, if I was a, a person in the Kim family regime of thugs and, and thieves, um, Wait, the Americans will actually do something? Wow. Uh, and that's going to be something that they're going to take and pay attention to. So, Does it help them in negotiations at all? That remains to be seen. We've, uh, we've had even longer uh, conversations with the Kim family than we have with uh, the current uh, leadership in, in Iran. Uh, and we are still technically in a state of armed conflict with North Korea. How do you feel about the increased troops that are going over to the Middle East? I mean, you have 100 that are going to shore up the embassy in Baghdad, and then there was another 750 that was announced, and then another 2,500 that's going to Kuwait. What's going on in Kuwait? Well, I think Kuwait is a strategic base from which the U.S. can operate in many different areas. And... I am wary of troop buildups. I don't want to see a whole lot of it, but there there must be good reason to do it. I think the president and his advisors are going to be very careful, given the past history and what his campaign promises were in terms of adding more troops. But but I've got, I, I believe that there's got to be a good reason for it. What, what does this do to the Democratic primary debate? within the party, for the future of the party, having this discussion about the president, what he does, and bringing up foreign policy and military uh, action for the Democrats. The, the, I'm a Democrat. The, uh, right. I'm, You're a Democrat. I'm more, I'm more hawkish. Assassination, and we have one who uses yeah, the term. Because no, I'm, I'm okay with killing people. Um, so call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I'm, I'm a soldier. Then I'm, then I'm a Democrat. But before anything, I want to say, you know, so proud of the Marines that held the line, that held their fire, that protected the embassy. There was a platoon there, right? That's their job. And then, um, you know, a hundred more of them needed a ride. So Army uh, assets, uh, Apaches, took control of the airspace, brought in some other hundred. And then, you know, God bless the 82nd uh, Airborne, America's uh, Army. We show up. And we will stay there forever. So if the 82nd's there, it could be there for generations. The Marines have to be resupplied. They're, they're, they have a smaller scope. American people want them to be there forever, especially when Donald Trump says D he doesn't want to do that. We have the capacity. And, and, and this is a card in our strategic interest that we get to play sometimes. Uh, within hours, the 82nd Airborne... That's his rapid response. Right. There's another uh, 3,500 that have already been mobilized. 
Uh, they kept their Christmas leave. They kept their New Year's. They enjoyed their family time, and they're ready to go back to work. Um, and they're going to Kuwait. Right, to support and prepare. Um, but I just want to say I'm really, really, really proud of those Marines because they kept their heads. You know, every... Can you have someone who's running for president as a Democrat saying exactly what you're saying? I think you'll hear Pete say that. He'll, Pete's he, going to say that. Yeah, he'll say that. He'll, he'll say that about you his... You think you'll say that? Yeah, Pete, Pete's going to argue that he'll make smarter decisions, um, and he'll point out Biden's flaws, um, and Pete's going to try to be the, the, the smarter warrior, I think, is, is his, his argument. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, although she's fading in the polls, she's going to say, you know, we shouldn't be in these kinds of wars. Um, but now that's going to bring us to almost 17,000 troops in Kuwait um, stationed there. We've got 2,000 troops in Saudi Arabia guarding their oil fields. We've sold them billions of dollars in weapons. Donald Trump, I could imagine him saying, why isn't Saudi Arabia fighting their own wars? Are we fighting a proxy war on their behalf um, with Iran? Is that what's happening? What is the role, in your opinion... Uh, and, and I realize you're not speaking for the Bernie Sanders campaign. You're speaking for Marcusello. Mm. What is your opinion on the role of the U.S. military? Where should they be and what should they do? Sure. Um, America has a role to play. Um, the first thing would be to get our moral credibility back. And, and how do you... What does that mean? So, you know, when we're involved in, in overthrowing leaders through the, our, our past history, for example, in, in Iran... <laughs> Um, for for over 20 years, we denied any involvement in the overthrow of Mossadegh, um, the Eisenhower administration. Um, and that comes to light. And then uh, the U.S. is viewed with suspicion. Um, in the India Times today, it was reported that uh, they were questioning, is America going to assassinate a Pakistani general who we don't like? In Venezuela, where uh, we've been pushing for uh, regime change there, is, is there going to become an imminent threat that's you reported? military action there. But I'm afraid, are we on a slippery slope? So, um, to protect and defend America's interests um, when they're not serving uh, corporate interests. come back and let everybody follow up on that, as well as those are listening. 1-800-723-8289. We've got this large military. How and when do we use them? What's your thought? Back shortly. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back oh, in Chicago, Trump. and uh, everybody, everybody is reading their uh, their, their Facebook posts on uh, reaction to the show. Uh, David from San Francisco, let's bring you into the conversation. Go ahead. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, thanks, Bruce. Happy New Year. And, Happy New Year uh, to you. Yeah, uh, 
I, I think obviously assassination is the right word to use. Uh, and one of the, if you think back in some of the old legends about some of the old evil kings, that they would call for a peace treaty with their uh, uh, with their neighboring kingdoms, and they would call them into a big feast, and then they'd lock the doors and kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you start looking at what Trump did, uh, and there is now, you know, there, there's now reportage that said that uh, the uh, feller that was killed was actually uh, being uh, preparing for uh, a negotiating settlement with the United States, and they knew where he was because of this uh, this activity. And where uh, did you read the, that, Dave? Uh, that was mentioned on one of the uh, other uh, talk radio stations uh, a couple of hours ago. All right. I haven't heard and, that uh, one. But this idea, whether or not Trump has uh, created a parlay in order to kill a, uh, someone he's declared an enemy, uh, but it gets into an, an earlier, you know, this, this discussion about whether or not uh, the Middle East has always been fighting, that's such hokum. Uh, if you if you're a fan of Agatha Christie, she wrote a series of books about Iraq and archaeology in Iraq. Uh, she wrote a bunch of different uh, mystery stories about it, and there were all of these stories about people walking around in top hats, and uh, you know it, it was a whole kind of a civilized culture. And uh, if you see the before and after photographs of whether it was Syria or Iran or Iraq or uh, various uh, countries in the Middle East, Lebanon, uh, Beirut, uh, skyscrapers, and... and, uh, So what's your point, uh, Dave? What's your point? That the uh, Lord Mountbatten and and the oil companies, when the the, uh, oil colonies were, uh, when the old colonies were forced to collapse and allowed to create republics, uh, that Lord Mountbatten and the oil companies carved up the Middle East in such a way that they guaranteed that there would be strife. And uh, so they, they drew lines through neighborhoods guaranteeing that you couldn't uh, cross an international boundary without walking uh, as, through a uh, Dave, as you're, as you're talking, your, your, your story is getting a little bit long, but uh, Mark Costello is nodding along, so I'm going to let him do a follow-up, and then we're going to move on. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I, I think where the the call it where David's going is um, that there was British interest controlling that oil. Um, you had uh, the creation of international borders or national borders that bring together uh, conflicting uh, ethnic groups uh, the, the, uh, and religious groups. And uh, so I think he's saying that you know we're 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 uh, perpetuating a myth that these countries have always been backwards and fighting and, and not advanced when there was a, a civil society there, a democratic-leaning society. But when uh, Mossadegh moved to nationalize the oil, um, we were involved in overthrowing him, and that's led to the theocracy we're fighting and have been fighting so, my so, entire so life. So narr- that's a narrative that, you know, it's all the Western powers' fault of what uh, is happening in in the Middle East since these countries were carved up. These countries wanted independence. They wanted to be out under the yoke of uh, British imperialism, so they were carved up. There was no other way to do it, and it wasn't done with the intention of creating strife. I reject that notion wholeheartedly. Ryan. So about 100 years ago, uh, the first Great War ended, 
And uh, as a result, the Ottoman Empire, which included the modern-day Turkey and Syria and Lebanon, uh, Le Lebanon, uh, parts of Iraq, parts of Iran, uh, it fell into a protectorate under the League of Nations and was gifted uh, under the supervision of France, Belgian, and uh, British colonial rule. And as Mark correctly said, then there was an effort to independence. And they did have this period where they emerged from the protectorate, mm -hmm. uh, but that coincided with the, the Second World War. Mm -hmm. Now, many of those in the Arab Crescent had strong leanings and sympathies towards the National Socialist, mm -hmm. and the Germans put a lot of money and effort into that area. And it's not just British oil companies, uh, so I'm sorry for my friend in, in San Francisco. There are a lot of different players and partners. Mm -hmm. And did the United States do bad things in Iran? Yep. So did the Soviet Union. And so did every world power country would express their national interest across borders. Mm -hmm. But it, it's not this neat little snapshot in time where uh, an oil company decides the fate of the world. The... Uh the nuclear pact with, with Iran, the president wanted to get rid of it. He talked about it during the campaign. Yes. He ended it. Now, Iran has said they are going to end it now. What impact will that have on the future of nuclear expansion in the Middle East, Josh? The Trump administration I hated the Iran I hated the Iran Okay, deal. so now the, the deal is gone. Yes. So now, what do they do next? The what do they do next? You know what? What they do next, maybe they, they will continue to cheat just like they were all along and try to realize their nuclear ambitions. The Trump administration, I have full confidence, will not allow that to happen. Whether it's sabotage, whether it's cybersecurity, coordination again with Israel, like, like happened years ago, or whether it's a military strike. I want to let everybody else respond to that. It's too big a story to talk about in the 15 seconds we have left. So we'll talk about it at the beginning of the next hour. Thanks to our guests for being with us this evening. Thanks for you being with us as well. Thanks to you for putting up with my horrible voice this evening. But we'll try to make through it, make through another hour coming up shortly. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for being with us. about how much someone drinks. Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. 
I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at everifyworks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light noise and the ad council chris domine is a husband and a father chris is an athlete chris is even an iron man but 10 years ago chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing basically the doctor said if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis you, you are going to die fortunately chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors, people of every age and ethnicity, because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We've got some uh, Facebook responses and also some email during the break in hour number one. Uh, Teresa J. Jacobs Rayborn writes, Our military's primary role is protecting our borders. Secondarily role is making sure our enemies don't get any chance to harm our assets abroad or get a chance to attack from afar. And Chris Roebling, who is a frequent guest on this program, a Republican, says uh, uh, Suleimani was not assassinated. He was not the head of, a st- head of state in his own country. He was a military commander in a foreign country conducting military operations against that country and the United States. He was an enemy combatant who was legally rubbed out. Amen to my friend Chris Roebling. Let's go to David in Austin, Texas. He, too, wants to talk about the use of the term assassinated. Well, I think the term assassination, whether it's positive or negative, is really ridiculous. On July 20th, 1944, the German underground tried to assassinate Hitler. It's always spoken as an attempt to assassinate Does that mean that somebody who says it's an attempt to assassination is pro-Hitler? I don't think so. Okay, response from anybody? I, th- I, I, I think the word does matter. I really do. I mean... Look, John F. Kennedy was assassinated, okay? To equate what happened to this terrorist and to call it an assassination, he was an enemy combatant who was eliminated. 
Mark, you're the one that used the word. You know, he was essentially a cabinet member of a sovereign nation, um, you know, part of the United Nations. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to see it happen to our Secretary of Defense or our Commander of JSOC. Um, I wouldn't want that to happen, and whatever we call it. I don't think we should get stuck in the semantic games, um, but think more strategically and long-term. But, but the semantic games do matter to the Democratic base. You, you would acknowledge that. To it, some it of the base, yeah. I mean, to mm-hmm. some of the well, base, they're Roberta insisting. Telling it yeah, story. absolutely. So if you're if, – I, I have friends who have declared that they will not vote for you if you don't say that word. And I um, look at them and I'm like, well, that's okay. You know, but I also have I quibble with them because, in my opinion, these are the same people that cost us the election, because they want yeah. the, you know. And I'm, I'm talking about specifically swing states, uh, people that chose not to stick to the party. Right. Yeah. They they don't get and trying to make a case when I heard the Democrats today, I mean, making the it was not a pro Solomami comment, but the point is. It was it was questioning the wisdom of the action, and I think when you do that in the court of public opinion, which is where this year will be conducted, I think in the court of public opinion, I don't think many people really care too much about that this guy was taken out. Well, were other than, other than the fact that he was taken out, I, I'm, 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 cur- I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Bruce. I'm happy about it. Remember when when know. Obama killed uh, <clears throat> Bin Laden? Yeah. Did, did anybody insist that we call that an assassination? I don't recall. No. I don't recall that. So what's the difference here? Why? I mean, let, let me. in fact, this guy was more dangerous because bin Laden's al-Qaeda had been defeated. This guy was the head of a terrorist group that was active. Okay. okay. We're, I'm going to switch gears. Uh, Colonel, I want to start with you. What happens next? L- look into your crystal ball. And again, realizing you're just speculating now. But what happens next? Okay. Let, let's assume that uh, that, that uh, Iraq uh, decides that they're going to ask the U.S. troops to leave. Should they leave? What should happen? Well, if the Iraqi parliament in total has a uh, session and in, in, comes together and votes and it is sustained and signed by the prime minister and it's conveyed, uh, then it's a matter for the State Department and the government to take up and consider. And, you know, we don't want to be there as an army of occupation. We don't have the forces there to be an army of occupation. And my personal opinion is that we gave the people of Iraq a very good chance to have a a say in their destiny and how they want to run things away from Saddam Hussein. And that was what was started in 2003. Um, So if it comes to pass... If the Iraqi parliament passes that, if it's signed into law and we're asked to leave, then fine. Let's move to the next step. Okay, let's say the troops come home. Yep. All right, a lot of people are going to like the fact that the troops are coming home. But what's the next step that's likely to happen in that part of the world where we may regret taking all those troops and bringing them home? You know, I I don't really see a a downside to it because – there are only 5,000 U.S. service personnel in Iraq right now. Uh, that number is uh, a baseline because it goes plus and minus uh, with the, the deployment of either the uh, Marine Rapid Response Team or the, the battalion out of the 82nd. Uh, if we pull our forces out and put our hands up and say, okay, we're done paying money, we're done supporting, we're done, we're done, we're done, uh, then 
the people and the government of Iraq may take a hard swallow and reconsider things because having uh, America as a friend and having American business interests as a friend is a whole lot better than having Iran as a friend or Iranian business interest. One of the things we haven't talked about tonight is that 90-some-odd percent of Iran is Shia Muslim. About 39% of Iraq is Sunni Muslim. Shia and Sunni don't necessarily get along. They are two distinct sects of uh, the Islamic faith. Compounding this, in Iraq you have the, the, uh, the other religious bodies, uh, and the Shia are are a majority, but they are not the dominant majority. And there are a lot of different areas in that country that have different views on how they want to move forward in the future. And it's not following Tehran and the Ayatollah in Tehran's guidance. Let's take a call. Mark from Carmel, California, listening to us on KION. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, good evening, Bruce, and thank you. Um, Listen, so... Does any of you think that this man was any different than Osama bin Laden? In that he carried out, <laughs> he, he started his thing with the Beirut bombing back in '83, and continued on, and has killed hundreds and hundreds yeah. of our Americans. He may be as men. he may be as bad. I, he may be as bad. He might even be worse. I I, okay, I, I would agree with that. He was on our he was on our like top ten kill list no. for mm-hmm. drones. And when the opportunity arose and we could get him without hitting the whole plane full of non-combatants and a bunch of collateral damage, we took this bad, bad man off the map. So I, I don't care. Well, I support that. I think that's a good idea. I think yeah. that's a good idea. The question, is, the question is when you do something like that, which certainly can be described as provocative, you have to be prepared for what may happen next. So what are okay, they going my, to do? Are they going to take this? Are, are they going to take this one lost life? Actually, there was a couple of other people involved. Are they going to take that and turn that into, you know, a a, a terrorist bombing where 500 people are killed? Well, that's not that's not an eye for an eye in my view. But again, that's Bruce, just that's Bruce. ratchet up. Now let me ask you this question: Do you think it's a good idea for the president to say in advance, if you attack us strongly, we've got 52 targets? waiting for you, waiting, you know, waiting for you to, or there will be some action. Do you think that's a good idea? Got to say goodbye to you. It's rhetorical. We'll come back and we'll talk about it when we return. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029. Was it a good idea for the president to rattle the saber and say, there's 52 spots we're going to go after if you retaliate against us? Good or bad idea? Back shortly. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack and we must work to protect it. 
Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much. Roberto, let me ask you. I asked the question, what's next in in, uh, in, in Iraq, in Iran? What do you think is going to happen? Politically, give give us your lay of the land. Iran doesn't have the resources to go toe-to-toe with us. The, the pallet of money. That so will they not retaliate? Oh, it'll be asymmetric. It'll be cyber. That's their strong strength now, cyber attacks. You're going to see them try to turn off a dam or, or, or shut down a railroad station, uh, maybe even mess with some medical devices. But their capacity has been crippled. And the American strategic interests now are to push that advantage hopefully dip- diplomatically, if we can. Then what do we do next? Well, we're gonna if, uh, if they do those things, and these are things that people are going to know about, right? Yeah. And there's, because if they do something that can't be detected, right. no one's going to know that this is part of the retaliation. I mean, they, they want everyone to know that they are retaliating well, they're gonna, they're against gonna, they're, the United States. They're going to fail over and over and over and over and over. <clears throat> and then after something sticks, they'll, they'll claim So that. there's going to be no big boom anywhere. We do not have a loss of massive loss of life anywhere in the future. My my prediction is that mm-hmm. it will not be kinetic. If if I uh, could agree think? with my friend Roberto here yeah. uh, for the first time, well, not the first time tonight. Um, I, you're, you're actually moderate. You're I associate you with the Democratic Party that I used to be able to vote for. But in any event, I agree with you. Cyber is yeah. going to be a focus. I don't think it'll be the exclusive focus. They're good at it, too. But they're good at it. They're right. good at cyber, and we have some weaknesses there. We're good at cyber, too. I'm yeah. not saying that, but if you try enough times, eventually you're going to get ahead. Where have they been? And by the way, we should mention your in your, in your legal practice, yes. cybersecurity is one of your areas of expertise. That's why I chimed Where in. Where have they been successful? Well, there have been successful... Uh, They've been successful in thwarting some of our cyber attacks against them, which is saying a lot, okay, from a defensive standpoint. I'm not aware of any offensive cyber attack against the United States that they have made, but they have – you have to realize Iran has many universities and a very smart and educated workplace, people, and they have invested a lot of money in cybersecurity on a per capita basis up there with any country in the world. Would you agree with what I just said, however, that if this is going to be reviewed or received from the world as retaliation against the murder of their general, that it has to be be a public thing. Out in the open. Yeah, it can't be anything secret. Right, and if you go after and you shut down a utility or a hospital or something like that, that's going to be out in the open. Mark. I think it will be a kinetic strike of some sort, either through a proxy or, or a drone strike, maybe against uh, Saudi Arabia um, to get at our interests and in alliance with Saudi Arabia. Um, but I do think what, what's missing from the conversation is really a discussion of the Iranian people themselves. And I think this maximum pressure campaign um, is not working. I don't believe it's working, and I don't think what Obama had tried uh, with the uh, the Iran nuclear agreement was working either. Um, so, but I think the real answer here going forward is going to be diplomatic, and it's going to involve um, getting the Iranian people um, into a position where they can assert their right to democracy uh, if they want it. What would prompt them 
to want to meet with us now in a diplomatic way in the wake of, uh, as you say, the assassination of the general? Sure. It's going to be a long time. I'm th it might be a decade before you can have meaningful conversations there. But I think if you can improve the conditions, rather the maximum pressure, who it hurts, the, you know, the kleptocrats, as uh, Secretary Pompeo called them, who are ruling uh, Iran, are going to get their money. They're going to find a way uh, to extract the wealth from their people, um, and the people will suffer. So, so that's where some of the strength of o Obama was uh, to gain sympathy for the U.S., was that the lives of Iranians may have been improved as the sanctions were, were lifted. But I, I don't think the lives of Iranians were improved. I think that money that was sent over in unmarked bills, the pallets of, of cash that the Obama administration did without authorization from Congress, went to fund more Iranian terrorism. And that money is drying up, and so they're lashing out at this point. Right. Um, and earlier we had had the question rhetorically about, you know, what good was this strike? Uh, the, the strike provides a deterrence point. Uh, and the president, in declaring, okay, if you want to do something stupid, I've got 52 new targets selected, uh, that's a, a message of deterrence. And physical military force, kinetic operations, as it's been termed here, uh, each time you do one, you're sending a very discreet diplomatic message, mm -hmm. which is, thump, I'm going to hit you. If you want that to stop, so, put your hands so up. So should he say when it's done, here's to, here you go, here's number one. Should he identify him? That's up to him, okay? But, I can see him doing a top 10 list. <laughs> <laughs> Number 52. <laughs> right. Well, but but it, the, the value of deterrence is... That's based on the number of U.S. hostages that's what from was, 1979. Yes. There's a uh, and I had a friend who said, well, great, let's do that 52 times 444 days, and that gives us 23,000. <laughs> high-value targets. And, and Iran runs out of targets real yeah. fast. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the 52 was... Uh, had a historical precedent. There were 52 hostages, and I, I think that it was entirely and appropriate. And it sunk a presidency. It did sink a presidency, absolutely. And those 52 hostages were released, I believe, five minutes into Ronald Reagan's presidency. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of messaging going on. We do have relations with them through the Swiss. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like we don't know what the other person is doing. They can communicate if they want to. They can stand. We see their, their, their the, we, we see the actions of their paramilitary organizations. If they all went back to their barracks, we would know that immediately. If, 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 if Iraq asks us to leave and the troops pull out, uh, is the president going to be vilified for letting the troops leave early, or is he going to be praised because the troops finally came home from the left, from your buddies, so, the college from, campus? From my buddies, those... Lefties. Um, I, I don't think there'll be any love for the president, no matter what he decides. But uh, I worry it'll be like Obama. Um, when Obama withdrew, you left that vacuum. Right now, we've got Turkey um, pushing out the Kurds. We've got uh, religious ethnic tensions. Uh, we've got a deposed president in, in Iraq, so um, still ruling a, a, a tentative government. So yeah, it's just ripe for civil war again. And so uh, I don't want to see that. There's nothing that this president can do domestically or foreign 
that will satisfy the left. The left will criticize whatever he does, despite the fact that we have unprecedented peace and prosperity. The key is, what does the president do? How does it impact those 10 percent of swing voters in the 10 states that are going to decide the next election? There was a report about two weeks ago that said that the president's support within the military and military families was not that great. It was, it was declining. Can you offer any assessment as to whether there's... I think I'm, I'm far away from that hearth. You know, I've been retired since 2006, and while I still have friends who are uh, on active duty and serving around the globe, uh, active duty military tends to keep their, their cards very close to their chest as far as political leanings and, and inclinations. Uh, we, uh, and I think Roberto would agree, while in uniform, uh, our apolitical nonpartisanship, the president is the president. doesn't matter which right. side of the aisle they're from. That's right. The, the member of Congress that shows up is a member of Congress. doesn't matter what side of the aisle they show up from. Right. And there is a civil, civilian control of the military uh, that is key to uh, how our republic has stayed uh, cohesive for the past 243 years. In your view, is it important for the president to be able to say to the American people when he runs for re-election and to his base in 2020 uh, that uh, he kept his promise, and by doing so, he has to pull out troops? He, oh. has, he has to pull out troops. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the things left on his to-do list that he made a big deal about. I don't think that he ever promised that he was going to pull every last troop out of the Middle East. I think what he said was that we're not going to be part of these endless wars anymore. And I think that he's kept that promise. I mean, there have been criticism from people like me who are a little more hawkish on military issues that he should have acted against Iran sooner, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, when when he did this, I was finally, okay, he did something because he was really, he held back. There was a few months ago where he uh, authorized the strike and then changed his mind, and the uh, jets turned around. So to me, it's a fine balance. But again, his base, there's part of his base that that does want every last troop out. There's no question Mm -hmm. about it. But again, I think he's given the base enough that they're with him. I think he's... um... You have to break the Republican Party down into different sections, right? There's the evangelicals. He's trying to rally to that. Mm-hmm. There's the folks that are about fiscal discipline. They're not in a billion-dollar deficit. It's not going to be a big you know, feather in their cap. But there's also a portion of the party that is just like, if you could just fix the economy, I'll be happy. I don't care about anything else. So on you know, net-net, it's probably good for him. Uh, oh, and the isolationists. People are like, Get me out of this endless war. Yeah, the Rand Pauls. Those folks are going to be happy if he brings them home. You've got Rand Paul that he listens to. You've got Lindsey Graham, yeah. who has diametrically opposite views. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, Rand Paul was very strong in denunciation of, uh, of this action. But on the Democrat side, we're going to work hard <clears throat> to defeat him. I think uh, Trump is Trump. a mark. A mar- yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not Rand Paul. This is not exonerate. <laughs> They're going to work real hard to defeat uh, Rand Paul. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, other, the other senator from Kentucky. <laughs> we've got some hard feelings about other things going back three years. Yeah, I think the, the politically, President Trump is excellent at marketing. He's going to talk about draining the swamp. He's going to say he's done it. He's going to say he's strengthened our military and he's invested there. So, um, 
he's going to win the marketing war, the messaging war, um, unfortunately. We will talk about the messaging war in Iowa when we come back. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain, and reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. All right, we are back on the air, and for the next uh, remaining 30 minutes on our broadcast this evening, we're going to look ahead to what's going to happen on February 3rd in Iowa. That's when they're going to have their Iowa Democratic caucuses. But first, let's talk about what the recent polls suggest. This is according to CBS News, and this is of Iowa voters. Bernie Sanders at 23%, Joe Biden at 23%, Pete Buttigieg at 23%, Elizabeth Warren at 16%, and Senator Amy Klobuchar at 7%. Now, let's go behind these numbers, and let's bring to this uh, program and to the, our microphones uh, Robin Johnson, who is a political science professor at Monmouth College in Monmouth, Illinois. He also is the host of the Talking Politics on our affiliate KBUR in Burlington. Nice to have you with us, uh, Robin. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bruce. Let's take a look right now. Uh, are you surprised at this CBS poll? It has a, a three-way tie. No, I'm not. I think it shows the staying power of both uh, uh, former Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders, where their support has kind of coalesced and remained uh, fairly constant. Uh, it seems like um, after Sanders had his uh, mild heart attack, he kind of found uh, some new life, so to speak, pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the, 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 the other trend that we've seen is Elizabeth Warren, who uh, was in first place earlier in the summer in the Iowa poll, uh, has fallen back. Uh, and it seemed to coincide with her taking a strong stance on Medicare for all uh, and her uh, struggles in trying to answer questions about funding that. Um, I think Buttigieg has maintained his level of support in Iowa from uh, voters who are uh, w- with higher uh, levels of education. Uh, and, and so it looks like uh, in Klobuchar, everybody was predicting she would make a move, and it looks like she's starting to here at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's still got some ground to catch up. But Iowa usually punch, punches three tickets onto New Hampshire. This time the thinking is that there'll be at least four. So we'll see how, this, uh, mm-hmm. how it ends up here in the final, uh, well, it'll be four weeks from tomorrow. Who are the people who vote in the caucus? How many, how many Democrats are there in the state of Iowa, and how many of them actually show up to participate in the caucus? Well, they just uh, set a record. They went over 2 million registered voters in the state of Iowa, uh, the Secretary of State's office announced. Uh, It's interesting because no party actually uh, is the highest number, followed by roughly equal numbers of Republicans and Democrats. Um, your, Your typical 
uh, caucus goer is likely to be uh, more of an activist, uh, more from the uh, activist wing of the party, uh, more progressive uh, than others, and uh, uh, so more likely to have higher educations. These are the type of folks that are no normally uh, more likely to turn out. Um, the record for uh, on the Democratic side for caucuses was 2008, uh, when Obama and Hillary had that very competitive race. It was about 240,000 people. Um, in uh, 2016, there was 170,000. I've talked to some sources in, in the Des Moines and Davenport areas who think that uh, they're going to set a new record this year. And in fact, there's concerns about capacity uh, to hold that number of people. You've been to these, Bruce. You were at one uh, with me uh, four years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's concern about uh, uh, j just capacity, the buildings where they're having them to hold everybody that may come out. Now, who can vote? If, if you are a Republican, uh, can you vote in this uh, caucus? My understanding is the rules that you can switch your registration and participate right up until the last minute. Um, that, that's my, my reading of the rules. I'm not an expert in the caucuses, but that's my reading of it. But uh, of those who have uh, traveled through uh, Burlington, which is uh, in your sec sector of the state, uh, who has impressed you the most with their organization uh, on the ground? Originally, uh, the best organizations were, were put together by Booker and by Warren, but I think uh, Buttigieg and Biden have caught up. Sanders seemed to have a built-in organization set from four years ago, and his supporters, as you know, were very devoted and very strong. Um, Klobuchar has been building up some momentum here recently. Uh, I know Warren's people are doing some extensive field work in the rural counties, uh, and that may be kind of a hidden result here that, that maybe isn't showing up as much. But uh, I would say they're all at this point doing very well on an organizational basis. They're investing money uh, that needs to be invested to get people out on a cold January night. Uh, Josh Cantrell is our Republican uh, here in the studio, and he has a question for you, Robin. Robin, my question is, if there is an impeachment trial scheduled for uh, later this month that takes up, say, a week or two, how much does that hurt the senators uh, vying for the nomination, Sanders and Warren um, and Klobuchar? Klobuchar and Booker. Um, it, it's going to have an impact. Uh, definitely. They're not going to be able to be out campaigning. They're on a torrid pace right now. Uh, the candidates are coming through east, southeast Iowa, where my show's located, uh, quite a bit. Uh, Andrew Yang was just there yes, uh, yesterday. Joe Biden is in Davenport right now as we speak. Um, it's going to have an impact on the candidates not being here. But I, I really sense from the Democratic voters, and I've seen it in polls as well, that they're really strongly motivated by who's going to beat Trump and making more of a strategic decision this time around. They, there's a sense that the stakes are enormously high for the country and uh, uh, that, that, that they're going to make the decision based on who's got the best chance of winning over Trump in November. So it'll have an impact, I think, definitely just by other candidates being able to be on the ground. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it's a great point, and uh, we, we, we'll see how that plays out. Roberto Montano is a Democrat. He's got a question for you as well. Hey, Robin. Um, hey. I, I, was, I, was, I was there in 08. Good times. I remember. Um, I'll probably be back again. Yeah, I'll probably be back again. Um, can you talk for all of our listeners a little bit about the mechanics? Because uh, it's different than voting. 
and you know everybody knows how, where you're going to stand and there's influence and your your boss or your wife or maybe the same thing will we'll see what you're choosing to do and also could you please talk a little bit about the dynamics my read on it is that there'll be two lanes and people will basically be broken one one or the other and then that there's a minimum threshold and i just want for the, all of our viewers or listeners at home i think they need to appreciate how it's not like regular voting correct you have to physically be at a location in each precinct in Iowa. Um, and we, we, last time, uh, Bruce and I were at a, a high school auditorium in Burlington that had both the Republican and Democratic caucuses in it. So you have to physically be there. Um, and there's a threshold. Uh, among the people there, you have to have at least 15% to be eligible to receive delegates. And uh, there's bargaining that takes place uh, between campaigns uh, where if they don't reach the threshold, where will those additional people go to support another candidate that might uh, uh, get <clears throat> over that threshold? So that's very critical. Uh, there, and there, also, there, Robin, just one thing I, that I noticed is it isn't like you don't just go and, and, and punch a button and then leave. You have to have an investment of maybe a couple of three hours, and also you have to be ready to stand up and, and, and speak to your neighbor and explain to them uh, in your own voice why you support a particular candidate. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't secret ballot. No. Uh, you're there, and it, you're right. They have to wait through several hours of, of uh, uh, organizational-type stuff. They talk about platform issues, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then they get around to the actual delegate selection, which could be uh, you know, an hour, two hours, uh, depending on how, how, how much mm -hmm. other business they have. And yes, you have to stand up and be counted. And just imagine that uh, if you're a if you're a local beautician or barber, uh, and letting people know who you're actually for. And if uh, you and if this you're polarized era, we we live in a hyper partisanship where just, everything yeah. seems based on who you're for politically. Just to clarify, if you don't have fifteen percent of that initial vote, your vote really doesn't count. Those 15 votes then have to be spread amongst those, the survivors, and there's a little more politics and, and, and uh, backslabbing, uh, backstab, not backslabbing, <laughs> backslabbing, backstabbing, backslapping goes on at that particular point. So it, it, it's, it's, it's ongoing politics. Right. If, if, again, if, if the number of people there, uh, if you don't, if, if let's say the Booker delegates, the people that show up for, for Booker, if they're not, they don't equal 15% of the total people there at the precinct, then Booker does not qualify for any delegates. But those people can, uh, in a bargain cut ahead of time between campaigns, can go, say, for Klobuchar, who isn't at the threshold, to get her over the threshold to be eligible for delegates. And then in some other precinct, perhaps the situation is reversed where they could bargain and Booker would benefit. That's what usually happens leading up to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin Yantis uh, has a question as well. It's Ryan Yantis. And I was, what did I say? You called me Robin again. Robin, this is it's all right. This is uh, Robin. I'm sorry you got called by. It's Ryan to Robin. There we go. Uh, how, how tired are the people of Iowa of this whole process and having uh, these wandering herds of Democratic candidates moving about? I think normal people are tired of it. I'm, I'm tired of seeing the ads. I live across the river in Illinois, and, and the ads are on nonstop. Uh, but again, I think the people of Iowa take this very seriously. Uh, if you've been there and talked to people, they, they know that uh, they're the first in the nation. They set the tone for this. I think history says half the time, whoever they select winds up being the nominee. 
So I, I, you know, I think they take it very seriously, and I, but, but I do think there's got to be a wariness right now because this seems like it's been going on forever. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I know I feel it, and and I think uh, a lot of people who don't live and breathe politics are probably getting tired of it right now as well. Uh, Mark Costello has a question. We're going to pause for a break right now, so you'll get his question after the break. And uh, I want to mention that our phone number is 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. If you have a question for our guest, Robin Johnson from Monmouth College, joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack and we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, Robin Johnson, who hosts Heartland Politics on KBUR, joins us uh, from Monmouth College in Monmouth, Illinois. And uh, a fellow professor is here this evening, and uh, we turn to him, uh, Mr. Casello, Mark Casello. Hi, Robin. I, I had a question. Hi, Julian Castro uh, dropped out of the race this week, and uh, there was some criticism of Iowa uh, coming from uh, some uh, Democrats and others saying that it's, a, it's not right that Iowa uh, be the first state and that the, Iowa can't uh, elect a, a, a person of color. Uh, what has been the response uh, from the people you've talked to, your guests on your show, to that criticism of Iowa? We've had this long uh, tradition uh, of Iowa leading off uh, the primary process. So uh, go ahead. Well, I think people that still defend the caucuses point to Barack Obama winning uh, in 2008 to, to overcome that concern. And, but, but I think Castro brought up some good concerns, and I think it is a fair question. Um, and this is almost heresy for somebody that has a show in Iowa to say, but I think there is a fair question of um, should this start every election in Iowa that isn't as diverse and doesn't reflect the country um, from, from a, a racial and ethic, ethnic standpoint and even economically? So... Um, the, Iowa, they, they tried to, uh, I was going to mention this earlier, they tried to do a virtual caucus this year where people could participate uh, by not being there. But that was struck down by the National Party because New Hampshire's kind of jealous of its role in the first primary. So anything smacking of a primary is going to be fiercely resisted by New Hampshire. So I would think that they're going to review, the National Committee will review this afterwards, but it won't just be Iowa, it'll be New Hampshire as well, which really isn't uh, as re reflective as the, uh, of the country as a whole. Well, part of it over the years is 
there has been uh, an unwritten conspiracy between the Secretary of State in Iowa and the Secretary of State in New Hampshire. They like this one, this monopoly they have on the one-two punch. They won't, uh, there, there have been efforts by the state legislature to get the New Hampshire ahead of Iowa, and you know, that didn't play well in Iowa because of, because of the lock, you know, lockstep response between the parties in both of those states. So someone else has got to sort of fight their way in. I think this year uh, the case is being made that the Nevada caucus, which is later in the month, is going to be more reflective because that's when organized labor really shows up. There's not much labor in, uh, or at least organized labor in Iowa and New Hampshire. And then, of course, the South Carolina primary is the one where everyone's saying that's where African-American voting uh, you know, power can, can show up. So uh, those first four really sort of separate the field. But who's one and who's two, uh, I'm not so sure that's a, that's a tradition that is likely to end because we have this discussion every four years and nothing ever happens. Well, the, the the benefit of it, too, and, and I will say this, is that the candidates have to come in and meet people at, at their kitchen table or their living rooms, and, and it's not going to be dominated by just television as it would be in a bigger state. Uh, so that is something, I think, still going in favor of states like Iowa and New Hampshire starting things off where it's more personal retail politics, which in this day and age, I think, is a good thing to see how candidates can handle the one-on-one. -on -one. No, I agree with that. Uh, Ryan Yantis. So I... Uh... I bristle when somebody suggests getting rid of the Electoral College, but it seems to me a more immediate problem is this uh, idea of the, the first primaries and who holds the first caucuses and why we don't have a better regional approach in a national, national election. And, you know, Robin? No, no party has ever been willing to, to take it on as a, as a cause celeb. In the U.K., the general election lasts for five weeks. In the U.S., it's... I don't like that idea. Yeah. I, I, I like long campaigns because in a long campaign, you can find out who stumbles, who is able to get up. I think a good example is, is Kamala Harris. You know, she got in. She was a star of a debate, and then she stumbled, and then she can't raise money, and then her polls go down. I mean, I think that's... You need, you need distance uh, you know, in these campaigns. And I don't just mean her. I think I'd say the same thing for everybody else. And by the way, the one thing, uh, Ryan, uh, or, uh, uh, Robin, uh, the, the stories in the national news media this week have been that Joe Biden, who's like a Timex watch, he keeps a beating, but he keeps on ticking. Uh, to what do you uh, extend uh, Biden's popularity, although he's tied in, in Iowa, but nationally, he's still in the hunt. He's still in the leader of the pack. I think it's the fact that he's been around a long time. He was uh, uh, Barack Obama's vice president, and there's still very strong feelings about former President Obama within the party and that Biden was selected by Obama. And uh, I can tell you that I just, in watching uh, play the playoff football games today, Biden's out with a new ad that's a very good ad uh, after the, uh, the, 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 the events over the week, uh, last week in, in Iran, uh, taking out General uh, Soleimani. Um, Biden's out with a new ad that's very powerful that kind of reflects on, um, accuses the president of being reckless and then goes back and has photos of Biden with Obama uh, in his role as vice president, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I think that issue is going to play well for him uh, as things start getting more uh, questionable uh, around the globe where he can point to that type of foreign policy experience. Yeah, well, again, some people will say that, uh, that, you know, he may view that as a plus. I think Josh Cantrell would say probably that's a negative. 
Yeah, I, I would think that uh, Biden's uh, support of the uh, Iraq war uh, would be an issue. Uh, and the fact that he seems to be stumbling in the debates and not able to really articulate well. He was but, also but not a... politics is... He, he connects on retail. No, he, no, there's no question about it. He's got a great smile, but again, he... he uh, um, he was not supportive of the, uh, the Osama bin Laden attack. He was one of those in the inner circles that didn't think that was a good idea. Robin Johnson, thank you very much. It's Heartland Politics. It's on KBUR Radio. You're going to be, we'll be back to you between now and uh, uh, the 3rd of February. It'll be right after uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So thank you very much for being with us this evening. Our thanks also to Mark Casello and to Roberto Montano and to Josh Cantro and to Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis for being with us this evening. Andrew Marshall and Fritz Goldman helped make this program possible. I am Bruce Dumont. I'm going to go home and drink some chicken soup, and I'll see you next week. (laughs) 